Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 385 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Monday night, January 31st. 2022 it will be february in a few mere hours by the time you're listening to this it almost certainly is february i don't know when we are editing the show even if we are editing it tonight it'll barely be up before february starts duke gets to head into february on a four game winning streak trevor keels is back for the blue devils and donald wine is back on the duke basketball report podcast donald my friend Welcome back. It is good to be back. Uh, thank you guys for taking care of everything in my absence. And again, to everybody out there, I'm sorry I, I missed a couple of episodes, but uh, I am currently in Minneapolis, Minnesota for the final men's world qualifier that will be on Wednesday. So uh, it's going to be very, very cold. We know this is going to be nine degrees is going to be the high on Wednesday. So I'm very much looking forward to all of you trying to find me in a sea of coats. Uh, on Wednesday night. Are you going to be jumping through any tables like you're a Buffalo Bills fan? Absolutely. Positively not. Hell no. Not, no, no, no table no. jumping. One more unrelated to Duke basketball, <laughs> but still sports related question. Donald, before I get to Jason, Donald, are you happy for Matt Stafford getting to the Super Bowl? Are you sad? Are you melancholy? I am lifetime, happy for him. lifetime Lions fan. Let's hear it. I, I, am ha- I am happy for him. However, these people thinking that we are just Rams fans because of Matt Stafford, that's not true. We, we, we are happy for him, but in no way is this a substitute for the Detroit Lions doing anything possible. So uh, he is not the first Lion to leave the team and immediately go to a Super Bowl and possibly win it. Uh, and he certainly will not be the last, but he is just the latest. Jason Evans is also here. Jason, I don't know that any particular drama has befallen you over the last couple of days, but I invite you to share if there has been. There is no drama. I am drama free. I did enjoy watching the NFL playoffs. Can we do a whole podcast on the NFL playoffs? I think we've had something like five or six games in a row that were decided on not just the last possession, but like the last play. It's it's been crazy. It, it has been it's, a uh, truly impressive playoffs. It's a good time, but we have to talk about Duke basketball. I don't think I mentioned that I am Sam Klein and I am your host for this episode. We are just going to be recapping Duke's very recent victory over Notre Dame. We will not be previewing Duke's upcoming match against the University of North Carolina. We won't at least be doing that tonight. We will do that later this week. We have a few extra days between games. Duke played Notre Dame on Monday. Duke doesn't get Carolina until Saturday. We are working on a special guest who we are going to bring on to help us preview that game against the Tar Heels. So take all your thoughts about the UNC game, about Hubert Davis, et cetera. Put them in the can. We will address them later this week. Tonight, we have to talk about Duke's victory at Notre Dame. It was 57 to 43 in a brick fest at Purcell Pavilion. So, guys, I need your headlines first. Jason, I'm going to let you start us off. My headline, Duke dominates on D and at the rim. Notre Dame never had a chance. And Donald. Notre Dame. Duke's defense destroys fighting Irish. Oh, I like that one. It's, it, it's, it's kind of, it, it's got a curse word in it, which is 
particular and and it's and it's Notre Dame, you know, and they got the whole Catholic thing. So you said damn to them. And, you know, that's that's just working on a few different levels. Yo, yo, hey, hey, on the on the Catholic thing really quick. Did you guys there was a great sign in the Notre Dame crowd that uh, I got. I don't remember the exact wording of it. It was something like, you know, uh, time for an exorcism or something like that, which I thought was very clever, very clever. You know, we're the devils. They needed Catholic. Yeah, they needed one. Right. Exactly. They 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 need a lot of help. Uh, I I really wanted uh, so I was going for something in the realm of like can't find the basket and I wanted it to be a joke about a 404 error and Notre Dame scored 43 points so I couldn't quite make the thing work it just like didn't it didn't quite come together the way I want so I just have rim not found in Duke victory uh, because no one was shooting the ball well tonight I guess no, wait, wait Sam Sam I think that the rim was found a lot like yeah, too much <laughs> yeah it's the net i guess it's net not found in right. Duke. Victory. that's what it should have been net that's not my found. that's my headline all right donald it is your first time back here in a little bit i am going to let you kick us off with the good i assume you have some duke defensive efforts to talk to us about but feel free to take it anywhere you want my friend yeah i think the defense was the story of the game 19 percent shooting that's what notre dame did in the first half they held them to 43 points. And honestly, they were at 34 basically with like a minute and a half left. And I will say on, on the offensive end for Duke, they were great in the paint. And I know Jason talked about the rim, uh, you know, on both ends of the court, but with about 90 seconds left in the game, we had as many points in the paint as Notre Dame had in the entire game. So that shows you one, how much we got to the rim into how great we were on defense because holding any team to under 40 points through 38 minutes and 30 seconds of a basketball game is an incredible work. Um, it, it started on that end and really carried over, even though there was a little bit of frustration on the, on the offensive end, the defense was always there. I will also note, I believe this is the biggest output and rebounds we have had all season, 51 of them, 35 defensive defensive rebounds and just absolutely made it a long, long night. Actually, it wasn't even a long night for Notre Dame. This is one of the shortest games we've had in recent memory. The, the game lasted under an hour and 40 minutes. So that tells you how efficient they were on defense. And damn, it was close to over at halftime, by the way. <laughs> I mean, for real. yeah, yeah, it, it was, uh, it, it's crazy how much Duke dominated this game uh, in the paint. Uh, like Donald said, we out-rebounded them 51 to 36. We out-rebounded them 29 to 19 in the first half. Oh, wow. It seemed to me like Duke was really committed to going big and exploiting our height advantage on Notre Dame. Um, because even though Notre Dame has some big guys like Nate Lashevsky plays power forward for them, he's 6'10", and you would ordinarily think, oh, that's a team that's big. But Nate Lashevsky doesn't play very big. Um, it's just not you know his style of play. And I really think Duke was committed to, uh, to not letting Notre Dame have a chance in the paint. I noticed at one point, did you guys see this in the first half? Theo John, Bates Jones, and Paulo Bancaro were playing together for several minutes at the same time. I never in a million years, I never imagined Duke would play a lineup like that where essentially Paulo Bancaro is playing small forward for Duke. And by the way, the same time we were playing those three guys, our backcourt was Trevor Keels and Joey Baker. So Joey Baker was playing shooting guard for Duke. Again, I wouldn't have imagined that. He's usually a small forward, sometimes even a power forward for this team. We, were, we played so big against them. And, and the amazing thing is that huge team I just described didn't even include Mark Williams. Guys, can I take a moment? Mark Williams, in my opinion, I, I know that folks are going to look at the statistics and say, 
that Paulo Bancaro was the MVP of this game. I, I will sharply disagree. Mark Williams, to me, had one of the most dominant games you'll see from a big man who didn't have double-digit points, didn't have double-digit rebounds. They only recorded him for three blocks. Mark Williams utterly controlled this game, and it was a joy to watch. Notre Dame had something big going against them, which is that their big man, Paul Atkinson, um, is utterly incapable of shooting from the outside. And so when he would go outside a little bit to set screens or anything else to to essentially take Mark Williams away from the basket. Mark Williams is like, nah, I'm, I'm staying in the paint. I'm going to stay back here because you're not going to do anything out there. And because of that, it made it super hard for Notre Dame to get anything in the lane. Mark Williams's block total should be at least doubled because of all the shots that he radically altered and shots that he tipped but didn't get called blocks. I don't know why that is, by the way. If you tip a shot and it, and it doesn't make it to the rim, it doesn't get called a block shot. It should be a block shot, in my opinion. And then his rebound should also probably be doubled because of those balls that he kept alive, that he tapped back out to someone else. I thought Mark Williams had a truly incredible game. And when he plays like this, it's just teams are just going to struggle. Unless you shoot great from the outside, and Notre Dame was terrible from the perimeter, you're not going to score on Duke when Mark Williams is controlling the paint like this. I, I stopped counting at 11, the number of shots that fell short, like airballed or just barely grazed the front of the rim or just went completely over the rim if they were trying to shoot from the baseline that Mark Williams altered. Like Mark Williams was everywhere on defense and really is, it was almost like a game. So they were like trying to invent new ways to miss terrible shots and make it where they, you know, where Mark Williams had to do something. And Mark Williams literally was just jumping straight in the air on a lot of these, on a lot of these possessions and they couldn't do anything with it. They, they just, it was almost like they were shook from the moment the opening tip happened and knew that they couldn't get around him. And they tried to just throw everything off of the rim or off of the backboard to try and get rebounds and go in, but they couldn't even finish their layups. So he really did a great job at at defending the rim and also just making it where it was a nightmare for Notre Dame for them on offense. Let me put it another way in terms of the big man and, and Mark Williams. I like to think of this game as being one of the first, maybe the first game this season where we saw the center combination of Mark Williams and Theo John playing like one full game of awesome center for Duke combined. Obviously they, they don't play together, right? Theo John basically subs in and out for Mark Williams unless Duke is playing small in this game. They combined for 37 minutes. They were six for eight from the field, not trying to do too much, but they made the baskets they needed 13 points, 17 rebounds and five blocks between them. That is a great day at center for Duke. And, and I think it speaks to Jason, you were talking about the big lineup that Duke was playing. Part of that is that Mike Krzyzewski didn't have to go to playing Paulo Bancaro at the five for extended stretches because Notre Dame was pulling the guys out too much or, or, or something like that. Duke was able to play a real, you know, nearly NBA size lineup for the entirety of this game. And Theo John and Mark Williams combined for maybe the best performance that we've seen this season from the center position. And by the way, I want to, I want to um, not take credit, I guess, take blame. I'm not sure what the wording would be earlier this year on this podcast, probably just like about two weeks ago or so. I was saying that I thought it was possible. I wasn't sure, but it was possible that Duke's best lineup was one where Paulo Bancaro was the biggest guy on the floor. And, and, you know, I, I, I said, I wasn't sure about that, but I thought that was a possibility completely changed my tune now at this point. I, I have, there's no question in my mind that Mark Williams is too valuable 
and too good for Duke not to be playing, you know, as many minutes as we possibly can get out of him. And that Duke is better when Paulo Bancaro is not the biggest guy on the floor. What Duke is best is when Mark Williams is dominating the paint and Paulo Bancaro can do what he needs to do on the offensive end. This was one I think I said in the preview where I want to see Mark Williams play the way that we know he's capable of. So I will, I will take a little bit of credit for that. Jason, I wanted to come back to you on Notre Dame because there were a lot of things we did say in the preview about the way Notre Dame was going to play that didn't necessarily uh, show up tonight, especially for them on offense. The Notre Dame team that we played tonight uh, was unrecognizable compared to what they've been throughout this year. Uh, this is a Notre Dame club that usually never commits careless turnovers. They, they are one of the best teams in the country at, at you know, when, when the ball's a turnover, it's because you force a turnover, that they don't throw the ball away ever. And today they were, I counted at least three or four times that they like literally threw the ball into the stands or they threw a ball and it bounced off some, a, a player's head or they threw a ball and a guy cut at that moment and it went to a Duke player instead of a Notre Dame player. It was unbelievable the number of careless turnovers. Now, Notre Dame didn't have like 20 turnovers. It wasn't like they had a huge number of turnovers in this game, but, but they just made a number of careless, unforced turnovers that are just, it's completely uncharacteristic for a super experienced team like Notre Dame. And then the other thing about them that was different than what they usually are is they couldn't shoot from the perimeter. We talked about the fact that this is one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country. And they went 27 minutes, 27 minutes before they hit their first three-pointer. And by the way, that three-pointer was the only one by their starters. Their starters were one for 13 from three. They've got two guys in their starting lineup who hit 50% on threes. It's inexplicable. Part of it, of course, is that Duke was playing great defense. But part of it was, like I said, this Notre Dame team was like unrecognizable from what they've been. And this is their first sellout of the season. I feel sorry for them that they brought in all these fans. You know, everybody's geeked up. This is a big moment. And they really laid an egg. They did not play the way they've been playing all year. And one more thing on defense I want to note really quickly. Duke is now, if you look at Ken Palm, Duke is now 15th in the country on offense and 15th in the country on defense. This is our high. We are just as good a defensive team as we're an offensive team. This is the first time all year that we have reached the point. This is our high water mark on defense, and it's the first time we have been as good on defense as we are on offense in the wake of this game. I will say uh, after the game, and I don't know if you were able to catch this while, you, while we were preparing, but they interviewed Paulo Bancaro, and he said that was a point of emphasis, focusing on the guys that hit over 50% from three and making sure that they got nothing on the night. And it, that was what the focus was. And you could tell that every single time they shot a three and it was just a, a terrible three, that those guys on our team were energized by that because they knew that they were able to take the game out of Notre Dame's hands and put it in their own. Hey, Sam, I know you're the host, but can I ask a question really quick? Do you guys think, how much of it do you think was Duke's defense and how much of it was just a bad luck night? Because there were a ton of shots by Notre Dame that like rolled around the inside, both teams, balls that just rolled around the inside of the rim. I've, there were more shots that hit the inside of the rim and didn't go in than you usually see in like two weeks. I think some of it was bad luck, but I think some of it, particularly on Notre Dame's side, was that they were feeling a little rushed. They don't turn the ball over, as you pointed out, Jason. They, they did turn the ball over 12 times tonight, which I think is a little bit more than their season average, and only got eight assists on their 20 made baskets. So, so just pretty bad 
you know, raw offensive execution numbers all around. I think that some of it is that Duke was forcing their offense to, to move the ball in ways that they weren't comfortable with. And whether that resulted in a bad long range shot or that resulted in an off balance three pointer or a, a three pointer that wasn't kind of in the flow of the offense, Duke was able to, you know, maybe Notre Dame missed four or five shots tonight that they normally make. So Duke really sort of in true talent only won this game by three possessions instead of, you know, instead of seven or eight, I'm, I'm open to that, you know, being the, being the outcome here, but Duke rattled Notre Dame. And, and I think you, you saw that in the turnovers and you saw that in the bad shot selection. I I think is a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, right? Like they don't get to a point where they get unlucky if they're not forcing the issue on a lot of these possessions. And they were because Duke was making them force the issue on a lot of shots and a lot of decisions that they made. And I think at a certain point, yes, there were a couple that, you know, went in and out or, you know, that's what you just realize is just not your night, but Duke definitely contributed to that. And I want to make sure that they get credit for that. By the way, this might, uh, this might happen to one or two or three players in a given night where, you know, the, the ball is just, is just rimming out and, and you just can't buy a basket. Every single Notre Dame player was, was bad from the field tonight. Only one of them scored in double figures. That was Paul Atkinson. He had 14 points on 15 shots, you know, like that was the, that was the best offensive performance for Notre Dame tonight. Everyone played poorly on offense. That's, you know, that's, that's execution. That's, that's Duke having a difference here. You can't get all seven of their rotation players to have a bad offensive night on the same night. I, I, I don't think that you can chalk too much up to that. All right, let's finish out the good. Jason, give me one more good from this game. There's a name we have not mentioned yet. And that name is uh, AJ Griffin who uh, finished with 13 points and nine rebounds. And, and folks may recall, I forget if it was the last game or the game right before that, but I talked about the fact that especially when Mark Williams is going for those block shots, we need guys to help with rebounding. And I specifically called out AJ Griffin for being a guy who needs to help with rebounding. He did that on this game. But the reason I wanted to mention him was I thought he was just incredibly strong in this game. When he took the ball to the basket, there were a number of times that he, that he shed Notre Dame defenders by just being physically stronger with the ball than they were. Those nine rebounds he got, a lot of them were balls where either guy could have gotten it, and A.J. said, nope, this is my ball. So I, I really I love the way he's maturing. He, he, in this game, he showed he was more than just an outside shooter. Um, he took the ball to the hole better than I think he has at any point all season, and past couple games he's been struggling to finish in the lane, did not struggle to finish in the lane because he decided to play strong in this game. All right. One more good from me. Not that he had like the most spectacular game, but welcome back. Trevor Keels uh, was forcing a little bit on offense, but very glad to see him back in the rotation. He is an important piece for Duke, even if he's not starting, which he wasn't tonight. I think that coach K has some interesting decisions down the stretch this season, as far as who is going to be starting games, who's going to be finishing games and who's going to be getting the most minutes because Keels has demonstrated that he's absolutely good enough to be starting. Jeremy Roach has demonstrated, especially in the last couple of weeks, that he's good enough to be starting. AJ Griffin has demonstrated the same thing. I think any of those guys are the ones that you sort of have to send to the bench with Wendell Moore, Paulo Bancaro, and Mark Williams definitely having starting spots, but the rest of them, 
I mean, good luck to, to Coach K and John Shire to figure out this rotation down the stretch. And look, we're back to 100%. That's the most important thing, right? We're getting Trevor Kills back. All of these are questions that I would love for them to answer because they have, they, they're able to answer them. We have everybody here. We have UNC coming up. I know we'll talk about them later on this week, but I knew this was the goal was to try and get him back and integrated before these games coming up, before February, where we have a lot of tough games down the stretch. So I'm glad to see him back. I'm glad to see that he, you know, was able to reintegrate himself into the offense. And now we have all our engines turning. Let's go. And uh, Trevor Keels clearly struggled with his shot. He's got several days now to work on that before the Carolina game. But one thing he did not struggle with was sharing the ball. You know who led Duke in assists in this game? Trevor Keels. So we will take a quick break. When we get back, we will talk about the bad. Stay with us. Guys, I feel like before the break, when we were talking about the good, a lot of it was about Duke on defense. So I feel like in the bad, we might have a little bit to say about Duke on offense. I do have one Duke defensive comment to make. So I'm going to start there and take host privileges on starting the bad. Wait, Sam, I want to be clear. You're about to give us something bad that Duke did on defense in a game where Notre Dame did not score a point a minute for the first 38 minutes of the game. I want to hear that is correct, Jason. That is correct. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for teeing it up for me that way. Uh, Notre Dame pulled down 24% of their offensive rebounding opportunities tonight against Duke. Now, is that good? You know, just for any old team? Not really. It's not particularly good. But Notre Dame, as we pointed out in the preview, is a terrible offensive rebounding team. They grabbed 11 offensive rebounds. And and if there was any shot for them to come back in the second half, it was that they grabbed a few more offensive rebounds than I would have liked to see from Duke. As much as Duke left the big lineup in, look, we're splitting hairs here, all right? Dude, you're nitpicking big time here. We're, we're splitting hairs. But... But if there was any opportunity for Notre Dame to come back in this game, it was by getting some of those offensive rebounds. They got a few of them. They didn't make the shots. That's the that's the problem for them. Duke far and away beat Notre Dame in field goal attempts. So so you know you've got that going for you. But uh, but I, I would have liked to see Duke really just just lock it down. Notre Dame, as they pointed out on the broadcast, has had a pretty nice last you know month and a half of their season. Um, but you know, through their, through their entire schedule, they're a, they're a bubble team. They're not a a single digit seed in the NCAA tournament. Duke should be putting away teams like this. If Duke is, you know, a two seed, if Duke is maybe a one seed, I don't know if Duke is a one seed this year, but if Duke is a one seed, they should just be, you know, putting their foots on Notre Dame's necks and, uh, and, 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 and putting the game out of reach early. So that's kind of what they did. Uh, I would have liked to see them do it without, um, without missing all those shots, et cetera. But let's do the bad. I think most of this, the rest of the bad, I suppose, most of which is on offense. Donald, why don't you get us started? Yeah, for me, it's about shooting inefficiency. And and it's, I don't even know if it's like a true bad, right? Like you have offensive nights where you ball just not going in. They were able to capitalize. They were able to work their way to the paint but they weren't getting those first shots in. And some of the shots that they were taking were off kilter or off, you know, just not in the flow of the offense. And I mean, there was a couple of times where we saw some guys take some off balance shots just for the sake of getting it up. And I think in their mind, they said, yeah, it's probably because 
Paul Vancaro will catch it, or Mark Williams will catch it, or Theo John will catch it, and we'll go right back up and hammer it. But I feel like we should be better at taking uh, some better shots within the flow of the offense. We're not going to be able to make them every single time. That's that's fair. But shooting under 40%, a lot of these shots may have been more efficient in the way that they were taken, or just, again, in the flow of what the defense that Notre Dame was trying to throw out there was giving to them. And I think that's what contributed to a lot of the, of the misses that we saw in the night. Just three for 19 from beyond the three point arc for Duke, which is basically the same as what Notre Dame shot. So everyone was, was clanging in, in, uh, in their long shooting tonight. The other thing I think Donald, to your point that the Duke didn't do so great. And this has been a problem. The last couple of games is more of those long twos shots that were off balance shots that were from, from awkward distances. Uh, Paulo Bancaro took a few of them. Jeremy Roach took a few of them. I think Joey Baker took one. So there were just, there were a lot of shots tonight that Duke took. They didn't need to take from those spots on the floor. Jason, tell me a bit more about Duke's guard play in this game. Yeah, that was my big concern in this contest. Um, And and I want to start talking about the guard play with a somewhat funny moment that I thought with about seven minutes to go in the first half, Wendell Moore was bringing the ball up the court. He was right around the three-point line. And Theo John was, like, right next to him um, on his way, you know, into the post. And and Wendell Moore handed the ball off to Theo. And Theo was utterly shocked (laughs) to get the ball. He's like, like, I don't get the ball this far from the basket. He's like, what's going on here? Now, I think, I don't know, but I think that Wendell Moore may have thought that Theo was Paulo Bancaro. Because it would be perfectly appropriate to give Paulo the ball there. But uh, I, you know, I'm not sure. Maybe he, maybe he felt like, hey, I'm just going to hand off to Theo, see what Theo will do out here. <laughs> what Theo did was he immediately gave the ball up to someone else because Theo does not want the ball at the three-point line. But <clears throat> it was kind of indicative to me of uh, what was a confused, I'm just going to call it a confused night by Wendell Moore and the other Duke guards. Um, they, they, they were terrible terrible shooting trevor keels wendell moore and jeremy roach combined to hit two for 19 wow really bad duke only had 11 assists on 26 made field goals that's 43 percent duke's usually well into the upper 50s if not 60 percent on on our assist rate and we are well below that on this game and and it just felt to me um like wendell moore and jeremy roach especially trevor keels i'm, I'm gonna forgive it because He's figuring out his way back. But, uh, you know, in a game like this, for neither Roach nor Moore to have more than three assists, there were some turnovers that I thought were, you know, pretty bad. Uh, they, they're they not going to be able to get away with that every game. You're, you're not going to be able to, to win games playing the way our guards played unless the opposing team has literally their worst shooting day in years. I mean, Notre Dame had one of their worst scoring outputs that they've had probably in like a decade or more. Uh, so, so I was concerned about our guard play. Our guard play is going to have to be better. I did want to note one thing about the guards, one more anecdote. Um, and, and this is a good thing, but uh, you know, it goes sort of in this whole area, uh, with four minutes left in this game and Duke leading by 18. Again, I want to repeat that four minutes left. Duke's leading by 18 games over games done. Notre Dame got a fast break. They're running down and Jeremy Roach hustled back so fast that he was able to knock the ball off another Notre Dame player's leg and Duke got the possession back. It was truly impressive to me that he was doing that kind of hustle, that Jeremy Roach was with, with 
you know, four minutes left in a game that's a blowout. He was working that hard. So I love that move. And I was so excited for him because he'd had a tough day um, to, to make a play like that. They, they then came down and, and Roach took a terrible shot from the, from the baseline. It was just had no chance of going in. Not a good shot for him. I guess maybe he felt like he'd earned it with his defensive play. But, um, but I, I thought in general, our guards were pretty poor in this game. And whether it was good fortune or good defense, we got a little bit lucky that Notre Dame's guards were even worse than ours. Jason, you mentioned 11 assists. Duke turned the ball over 14 times today. So that is, that's not a, a good assist to turnover ratio. And speaking of the, the poor shooting, I don't think it was just the guards. Paulo Bancaro scored 21 points tonight, but he needed 22 shots to get there. And he's a guy who is capable, one, of hitting threes and two, of drawing fouls. And, and he wasn't able to do that effectively enough tonight. Some of that, I think, is the shot selection. But as you pointed out, just a, just a little disjointed on offense. If you want to you know, sort of blame something entirely out of, of their control, I'll mention one other thing that I found surprising, which is that Duke traveled home to Durham after the Louisville game on Saturday. I was shocked see this? Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we, we talked about how Duke was probably staying in the, you know, in the Eastern Midwest, Louisville and, and Notre Dame were not physically that far away from each other uh, as the crow flies. We figured like, oh, they'll, they'll stay over in Louisville Saturday. They'll travel to South Bend on Sunday. It'll make it a much easier travel schedule. Nope. They flew home from Louisville on Saturday, stayed in Durham Saturday night, got back on the plane on Sunday to fly back to Notre Dame on, uh, on Sunday afternoon. So weird travel schedule for Duke. Now they do get a few games, uh, a few days to just stay home. And it's not like the road game at Carolina requires any, uh, any hotel time. Yeah. And by the way, there's going to be plenty of time for Trevor Keels to integrate himself back into the team, get some practices in. Cause I know he has not practiced much lately. I meant to add, I forgot to, to mention this uh, in the guard play. And it's not just the guards. Like you said, it was also, uh, Paulo and, and Joey Baker Duke was three of 19 from three um, uh, like as bad as like Notre Dame was terrible in this game we talked extensively about how bad they were from three Notre Dame was three of 18 Duke was even worse Duke was three of 19 so I I just hope that we saved up a good three-pointing shooting game for this weekend save all those shots you didn't make this today and let's have them rain down on North Carolina on Saturday well let's see if Duke can can make shots in a cavernous Dean Dome uh, hope that you know. I hope the crowd shows up. I hope it's you quiet. Really just, I hope we make them. Quiet. I don't. I don't care about them. <laughs> Donald, Donald, tell me something bad from this game. So for me, I, I you focused on the guard play. I thought that was good, and I think you can summarize it by this: it was a lot of heat checks being shot in a very bitterly cold gym. Like the everyone in everyone in the gym was missing. I'm sure if people in the crowd had like a, a contest, they probably would have missed shots too. But we had a lot of guys taking heat checks. And I think that is where it gets a little frustrating. And I, I get like, as a shooter, it's frustrating to not hit your shots. And the only way you feel like you can get out of it is by shooting more, which is leads to the inefficiency. And sometimes, as I mentioned before, the off balance shots and things just aren't a part of the flow of the offense. But I do hope, and, and I think I agree with you on this, I do hope that we get those shots up in the gym all week just to make sure that we can get about our system because come Saturday, we're going to need to be making shots. We need to be more efficient on offense. And I think that we have the capability of doing it. And let's just hope that we can just chalk this up to a bad shooting night. So as we said at the top, we will be back later this week 
to preview Duke's big game on Saturday against North Carolina. Until then, for Jason Evans and for Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 385 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Stay in touch with us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. The headlines continue to roll in. The comments continue to roll in. We love it. Hopefully you love it. Stick around. We'll be back soon. Go to hell, Carolina. Go to hell. And we will talk to you again later this week. Duke Band, take us home.